0: Hello, and welcome to season four of the Pivoting Out of EDU podcast. This is a podcast designed to provide you with the inspiration, confidence, and strategies for transitioning out of campus-based positions in education. Hosts, Drs. Jamie Hoffman and Tom Studdard, pivoted out of campus-based positions, hold senior level positions in organizations, and love it. What started as an idea that they thought might benefit a few is clearly filling a need across the nation with education professionals during the Great Resignation. Jamie and Tom are excited to be back for another season with over 25,000 downloads across our first three seasons. So have a seat or take a walk. However you listen to podcasts and get ready for ideas and inspiration. And if you think this podcast was awesome, please consider giving us a five-star rating.
1: Hello, and welcome to Pivoting Out of EDU. I'm Jamie Hoffman.
2: And I'm Tom Studdard.
1: And we are joined today across the ocean, the Atlantic, uh, with Luna Munoz, who actually worked in higher ed in England, in the UK, and has made a pivot herself. So before we started the podcast, we just talked about the fact that we're in three different time zones, because I am in Southern California Tom is in D.C. and Luna is in England. And needless to say, we are very happy to have you on the show. I know that you've been doing some sort of kind of advocacy work yourself, really, on helping um, folks make the pivot. Although I think you're, you call it something different, um, which I'll let you talk about. So that said, if you can get started by introducing yourself and telling us a little bit about your background in education and what led to your pivot and what you're doing. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks for
3: having me on the show. I'm Luna Munoz. I used to be Luna Santifanti for a while. And yeah, I'm originally from the U.S. I did my Undergrad at Stony Brook on Long Island, New York. And then I went to Penn State for where I thought I was going to do my PhD. I had a fellowship, but my supervisor didn't get tenure, which is kind of one of of the reasons why I'm here in England now. Because the same thing happened while I was doing my undergrad. I had a supervisor for a research project and he didn't get tenure. And then I went to the University of New Orleans and finished my PhD there. And then I came to, I went to Europe. Uh, I did my postdoc in Sweden and on recommendation from my PI or my supervisor from New Orleans. And across all those, so when I got to my postdoc in Sweden at University of Örebro, I felt like it was the same kind of thing. That the reason why I had to leave Penn State was complex, but part of it was They didn't allow me to select a new supervisor when my other one left. I felt it was a bit, I'm Latin American. I felt it was a bit, I I was asked to be grateful to to be a PhD student there. And that just led to me leaving. When I was doing my postdoc, I was paid less than the male postdoc that was there. And then I came to England because I thought I want a permanent assistant professor. Like I want a permanent job. And they have what they call lecturing jobs here, but they're research, teaching, and they're permanent. So I've had a permanent job for about 15 years. And then last year, I was part of a group of people, 47 people, who were being made redundant. And I fought really hard. I think, yeah, part of what you're saying about advocacy, I started to become an activist. I started to become an advocate. I as soon as I had my citizenship in the UK, I joined the union and then I was hugely active in the union for, you know, all the issues that were going on in higher education here as well as what I could see in the U.S. I I could see that it wasn't going to get better over there. So I left last year after that big fight and decided to, well, I'll talk a little bit more about it, but decided to make my own business And so I'm a coach, uh, career and life coach. My training's in psychology and I did a lot of research on well-being, empathy and how people come to be fulfilled individuals and and the development of that through childhood and adulthood. So that's what I thought I would concentrate on is really getting into the coaching and helping people figure out what they really are passionate about. But I've also wanted to do consultancy work because a lot of the work that I did was in community psychology and helping in communities, helping charities develop education programs or programs for families that would, again, get to children's better well-being, better education, better employment. And so now I do that as well. We're trying to get a little bit more into that.
2: Oh, well, thank you for that. I appreciate the background. I, I want to dig into uh, to two things that you talked about. One, sort of your your journey as a graduate student, and a PhD student. And, and the reason I want to do that, which is a little bit of a, not a typical topic for us, is I see a lot of posts in the Facebook group, the Expatriates group. I see a lot of posts in our own LinkedIn group that Jamie and I host that ask the question, like, I'm currently a doctoral student. Should I continue doing this? I don't want to work in academics. I've realized now I don't want to do this. What should I do? And, and I'll admit, Jamie and I, you know, we both have EDDs, and so the program's a little bit faster, right? And my advice has always been like, it's something that nobody will ever be able to take away from you is that is those three little letters that you get at the end of it, no matter how expensive it might be. But I I would I would love to hear your story or your advice on that, and then I want to dig in a little bit to what you're currently doing and how those the skills that you developed working at a campus have transitioned into helping you in the in the business that you've started?
3: Yeah, I think when I got stuck on my first one through Penn State, I think I did think about quitting and pivoting to something else. But I don't know, it was difficult, I think, because as a Latin American, I'm from Puerto Rico, so my, you know, we're all American, even though Trump didn't know that. But you know, there was this idea of the American dream and pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. And I think I, I latched on to that idea. And I thought, if I'm just good at school, I will avoid being on welfare like my mom was. I'll avoid being on food stamps. Like, I just need to latch on to school and I need to do well. And I think Part of it was not just what skills am I getting during my PhD, but what was it fulfilling inside of me, as feeling like worthy. <laughs> you, you know, to be honest, that that was that's been hard for me to admit and be vulnerable on, but to feel worthy. And I think the three letters were how I was going to be worthy to begin with, but also that I was going to feel secure, you know, like more safe. So I help people kind of think through what it? what is the, if they're going for professor, right? Because that becomes your new three letters that you want. It might then be prof, right? Like a, a full professor. And I think that that was my next thing that I was struggling with was I want to be a full professor. And I had to really be honest with myself on what do I want that for? So I think what I would give advice for is what does that do for you? What does it allow you to, like, accomplish? For me, when I got real, I said the only reason why I want professor, other than, like, the title or my ego, was I want to be able to help people coming up through the ranks to have a better time than I had. I want people like me to have a better chance at getting ahead and not hitting a glass ceiling and to break through. And when I came to that realization, That was easier then for me to transition because I could say, how do I accomplish that without getting the PhD or without getting the title of professor? When I think about the contribution I want to make, how can I make that happen? Even if this, you know, if I don't want to kill myself trying to get this, you know, title or this degree, because it's really about what did you go in there for? And I think a lot of people fall like float into the next thing or fall into the next thing rather than being consciously choosing that path. Like I said, my supervisor said, here are this postdoc in Sweden, you should go do it. That's that was my should. I, you know, had these expectations and shoulds like thrusted on me rather than consciously choosing it.
2: Real quick, I just I'm gonna go even further on that one. Uh, Or actually just make more, more of a follow up comment. I really appreciate that insight. I feel like a lot of the folks that listen to our podcast, we do have, you know, academic folks and we have K through 12 folks, but a, a good portion of our listening base are the student services, student affairs professionals in higher education, particularly in the United States. Right. And, you know, I, I think a lot of them, and, and I will put myself in that bucket, sort of fell into, okay, well, the next step in this journey is to get those three letters. And, you know, I, I think when I went into it, I was like, okay, well, I, I'm maxed out as a director. I can't go further up unless I get those unless I get that doctorate. I, and it's funny for me because like education was super valued for me in my childhood home. My parents, grandparents, my you know all four of them had teaching degrees, so it was all always about like you will go to school, which says a lot about sort of, you know, the privilege that I grew up in, but at the at the same token, like when I did enroll in the doctorate program, the initial thought was I got to do this so that I can get promoted. But as I went through the program, I actually found myself realizing, I actually love learning. I'm that nerd who actually really liked writing his dissertation because I felt like I was writing about a topic that I was really excited about. And so I appreciate your perspective because not that it's different than mine, but I think there's a lot of reasons people go into, you know, a, a graduate program, whether that's at the master's level, the PhD, DV, law degree, whatever the case may be. And it's really important to do that soul searching. And I sometimes wonder had I done that soul searching? If I would have actually wound up in a PhD program or an EDD program, or if I would have done something different, because I I loved learning, but there were moments where I was like, "Oh, why am I doing this?" But I appreciate that perspective so much.
3: I love learning, so that's one thing. When your your second question about what does how did that prepare me, I think the the love of learning and the critical analysis and critical thinking and research skill. I really latched onto that when I started doing my business and they started talking about, I mean, it's really like it sounds really boring, and I never would have thought I'd like this. But kind of market research and prospect research, I then looked up and and even video editing. And, you know, like I I built a YouTube channel and like put up some really nerdy like choose your own adventure as my marketing. But I loved editing and like creating a trailer. (laughs) Like, like I just got really into it. And everything, I just, I went down the line of how many things I've learned in terms of software. And, you know, part of that was because I managed the website of my PhD supervisor for a while. So I taught myself HTML. And then, I mean, I don't program now in HTML or anything like that, but it, it does serve as a base for a lot of languages out there, you know, in terms of programming. So those transferable skills are something, that's something they can't take away from you is what I tell my PhD students now that a couple of them have come to me and said, oh, we're thinking about leaving now that you've left. And I'm like, well, those skills that you have, no one can take them away from you and you can use those. Do you need a PhD to do what you're doing? Really have those informational interviews to find out if that's, the case but yeah so I think those like those hard skills I guess but in terms of soft skills I guess you know the the empathetic way that I work with people the broad knowledge that I have on careers and advising my students on careers helps me as I would figure out my own career, but also helping others to identify what is it, what, how, what kind of introspection work would work well for you? How can you journal on that? So that, that's something that I think I've taken from the work that I did. And that, like I said, doing the research, but, you know, doing research that's for my business or doing research to find out what is that company like? Would you like working there? Let's go search through all their social media posts. Let's search through what their impact report says to see if those are the kinds of impact that you would like to contribute to by working there.
1: Great. I mean, I like the the various sort of aspects that you're using to help people figure out what their next step is. I wanted to also ask you, when you were... It sounds like you kind of anchored yourself in your why, right? Which is, you know, helping people, coaching them. I'm curious, what made you decide the path of creating your own business versus, I don't know, I mean, I suppose there, that your why might be fulfilled in the job center or something, England, helping people like find a job. What What made you decide to do your own business and what have been we have we have a fair amount of people who are either thinking of leaving and starting their own business or starting their own business as a side hustle and eventually moving. So they often, I know, wonder about the challenges of that. So um would love to hear more about that from you.
3: Yeah, this wasn't, my journey was not linear. <laughs> as we hear from, you know, PhD students, right? Or like when you're doing your education and, and post-grad education, Mine wasn't linear. So I first thought I was going to work. Like you said, it wasn't job center, but there was charitable work. Like there's something called Career Connect that works with people who are not in employment, not in education, or they've just gotten out of prison and are looking for training or education or employment. And I thought, oh, that speaks so much to my values. I applied to... Children's charities. I applied like a a lot of charitable charitable organizations or NGOs. But when I dug deep into their impact reports, or I looked at their senior leaders, or I looked at their board of trustees, the I don't know what it's like in America because I haven't done the like research on those you know charitable organizations. But here, there are many reports that have come out that say that say that they are institutionally racist. (laughs) The reason why a lot of charitable organiz- organizations were brought about was to, you know, get people into work and uphold the systems that be. right. And once I started to kind of realize that a lot of the people at the top levels were all white, middle class, it just, I just, it was really, really difficult because a lot of the work that I did in universities was for equality, diversity and inclusion. Which was never valued, but it was work that I really wanted to do while I was there. and i I had so many negative experiences from doing that work in universities that I didn't want to recreate that in other organizations. I was just I was super tired. I'd read life as my Life as Activism. I believe it's called by June Jordan. Totally recommend it, but then it might mean you're not employable anywhere because you become too radicalized. But that's how I felt. I felt like I can't. I can't work at any of these places. And so it was kind of by default that I went, I'm just going to try this for a while. And I'm really going to give it a go. Like I'm going to say, you know, in two years time, I'll see how this is. And just again, you know, tracking. So a lot of my day is writing content. And I felt like I'd missed some of the creative work that I'd done. You know, academia just took out a lot of my creativity. Just I didn't have anymore, so I was reconnecting with that after I left, and now creating content that people read and feel inspired by feels really good to me. So I track what do people read, where does it, you know, where does it do best? You know, in that way, it's kind of like I'm using metrics again. What citations does this have, (laughs) which can sometimes be a downer, and I have to watch myself that I'm not recreating those structures, but in my brain. But yeah, that's my daily thing is writing those, putting them out there, marketing them and seeing what lands, but then also listening to people and, you know, feeling what they feel and, you know, which it helps to then have a therapist on my side. So I, I I do go to a therapist to kind of deal with those because more things come up as I leave. You know, the longer I've been gone, more things come up creeping into my brain. I go, oh, I wonder where that's from. Where did I pick that socialization up from?
2: Well, first of all, let me sort of validate your experiences. I, I really appreciate that what you've talked about, both as personal, but also your personal into the professional and how sort of what you experience has driven you into the role that you have now or the company that you started now. You know, the there's an old saying, right, that you, if you find your passion, you never work another day in your life. I think that that's sort of BS because I do think that work is still work and it's hard work. And what you're doing obviously is both your passion, but also is hard work. And so I appreciate you really sharing that story. Last question. Uh, if you could sum up the advice for somebody who's looking or your advice for somebody who's looking to pivot out of a campus-based role now, whether it's in the classroom who are serving students in a student affairs professional, what would that one sentence advice be?
3: One sentence, so, so hard. I think finding your why is part of it. Finding what you want to contribute to the world and make a legacy from. But I'd also just say do that in your own way. Don't worry you know, what do they say? Comparison is the thief of joy. Do it in your own way. You're making a new path. So everyone can watch you from the sidelines while you do your thing and you just do it unapologetically and authentically.
2: That's great. I love the uh, finding your why. In fact, I just I texted that to Jamie as a good uh, good good name for your show. So thank you for giving us that advice. To all of our listeners out there, hopefully you've enjoyed today's episode with Luna and her story on not only her work through graduate school and to a PhD, but also on starting her own business and finding her why. So uh, we look forward to uh, having your feedback on our show at any time. You can visit us at pivotingoutofedu.com or visit our LinkedIn profile, Pivoters of EDU. We look forward to next week. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to Pivoting Out of EDU. In addition to our podcast, we offer various ways to get support as you work through your career transition, including digital resources, one-to-one consulting, group workshops, and cohort-based blended learning experiences. For more information about these services and show notes, visit pivotingoutofedu.com. And if you haven't done so already, join our LinkedIn group called EDU Pivoters, where we share job opportunities and foster engagement between those who have pivoted and those who want to pivot.